Today's reading will be from Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. New International Version, uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, hated, being hated, and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Hey, good morning, everyone. Isn't it a wonderful day? It's the Lord's Day puts things into perspective for us. We need to be thinking about our Lord today. Well, just before we start, let me say a few things. Uh, I appreciate the song selection. Uh, the, you know, the songs have been really good, um, and they relate very much with the lesson this morning, as you're going to see. The title of this lesson, as you can see on your screen here, Jesus gives us a reason to be happy, or at least he should. We should be happy to be here. We should be happy to worship together. But You'll understand what I mean by that title as we get farther into the lesson. So we've looked at the first four chapters of the book of Romans. Some of it we looked at briefly. Some of it we looked at a little more in depth. Uh, Paul went into great detail about the grace of God. And he was reminding these Christians of the gospel and who paid the price for them. Only Christ can save them. And this was and is the righteousness of God. Paul did this to counter the Jews' argument that they had to obey the law of Moses and be circumcised. And so the Jews were convinced that Christians needed to do this, to be in a covenant relationship with God. But they didn't understand that Christ came to bring about a new covenant, one that was by faith, and so that they were not under law. And so this would bring them into a right relationship with God. What Jesus brought was a a covenant, and by them rejecting it, They were rejecting what God had brought to them. And so, this morning, we're going to get into our lesson. We're looking at chapter 5, as you can see there, verses 1 to 11. Let's start by reading verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So as we said last week, anytime you see the word therefore, it's always referring to what was said just before that, previously. The Apostle Paul talked about in chapters 3 and 4 about not being justified by the law, but by being justified by what Christ did on the cross. It wasn't meant to save them. The law wasn't meant to save them, but rather to instruct them. And as Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, to lead them to Christ. That was the purpose of the law. Then he used Abraham as an example. You might remember last week we talked about Abraham, the man of faith, 
And Abraham had faith in God. And he was one of God's people before he was even circumcised. So this would have been a very good point for Paul to make to the Jews to help them to understand. Look, Abraham, the one you put so much faith and trust in, the one that you raised so high, he was one of God's people before he was even circumcised. And so he makes that point to these Christians. It was an obedient faith in which he trusted in what God said, and he obeyed him. That's what Abraham did. Paul said, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who come to Christ by obedient faith will have access to this peace with God and receive grace. But this peace is a peace that is on God's terms. We need to realize that. This is a peace that is on God's terms. And peace with God because we were enemies with God before we came to Christ. So it's a peace that is on God's terms. Take a look, if you will. Try not to lose your spot in Romans, but turn to Colossians chapter 1 and read with me verses 21 to 23. I don't have it up there on the PowerPoint. So you'll have to actually open up your Bibles and take a look in there. But Colossians chapter 1 Verses 21 to 23, and the Apostle Paul talked about this very thing here in these verses. Starting in verse 21, he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So as verses 1 and 2 of Romans, back in our text now of Romans chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2 we read, Our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom? Through whom? Implying it is only through Jesus and no other way. Salvation cannot be attained by any other way except through Jesus. The reason salvation is not dependent on our own good works is because we would be wondering if we had done enough to earn salvation. Think about it. Imagine living your whole life wondering, were you nice to enough people? Did you help enough people? Did you do this? Did you do that? Always fearful of whether you had done enough to earn your way to heaven. And that's why salvation doesn't depend on on us. It depends on Christ and what he did. Forgiveness is beyond the realm of our efforts. It rests and stands on God's grace. When we respond to the gospel, we stand before God as forgiven people because of his grace, his undeserved love and mercy towards us. It is all about what God did through Jesus. Our introduction into that grace came by faith in Christ's sacrifice. It's where it all starts. It's where it begins, believing in Christ, believing in who he is, believing in his death, his burial, his resurrection. Paul said, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What glory was the Apostle Paul talking about? When we read that, what do we understand? What is he talking about here, this glory? It's very likely that the Apostle Paul was referring to a coming glory. Seeing the glory of God revealed when Christ returns for his people who have been faithful to him. Let's take a look now at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5 now. Let's read those verses together. Verse 
Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Whom he has given us. Paul said we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now he talked about something else we rejoice in. He talks about rejoicing in our sufferings. Rejoicing in our sufferings. Well, you might think, so what, is he telling me to be happy when I'm suffering? Is that what he's telling me? Rejoice? Yay, I'm suffering. Well, no, obviously that's not what he's talking about, right? It doesn't mean that Paul's saying you'll learn to love it, you know, suck it up. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, what he's saying is this. He's saying that when you suffer, remember why you're suffering. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. How can you be happy when you're suffering? Paul said that we will rejoice when we go through sufferings because it produces perseverance. Other translations say patience or endurance. When a Christian perseveres or shows great patience, it produces character, as the NIV says. A lot of other translations say experience. And I like that translation better, experience. And that's the thought here. How can we learn and grow if we're never tested so we can gain experience? This applies to just about everything else in life. Let me show you a couple of examples. How about this one? Oh, get this thing working. Oh, why don't I? Wayne, can you switch it over? Thank you. So, an example. You start a new job. You're working at a call center. That's a pretty big call center. You start at a call center. You start working there. Your training finishes. Now you have to deal with your first customer. You're scared out of your mind, right? You're on the phones waiting for that first phone call to come in. You're suffering because you're scared to death. You're afraid to make a mistake on the call, and then it comes in. And you get through it, and you, get, and you realize, okay, that wasn't so bad. What was I so scared about? And then you take the next call, the next call, the next call. And it's a trial. It's a test. You go through. You gain experience and knowledge from it. You persevere. You have patience. And you get through it, and you learn. And you gain experience by that, by what you went through. Another example, the next slide. What if you're taking first aid and CPR? What good is the knowledge that you've gained if you never put it into practice, if you never gain experience from it? And, of course, you're going to be scared to death, that first person that you have to work on, right? And so you, you, you're put to the test, and you gain knowledge, you gain experience through that. And as a result, you rejoice. You rejoice in what little suffering you had to go through in order to get through it, to gain experience from it, and to grow and to mature. So when it comes to our sufferings, we will be rejoicing because we will have gained experience through our trials and our sufferings. When we go through things, we're learning something. We're learning to trust God as we go through those things. That's what we're doing. And we gain experience. When we get through that, we say, okay, well, Lord... I think I can handle the next thing that comes my way. I think I can have more trust the next time. I got through this, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And so these are the things that we learn. We will have learned perseverance, character, and gain hope. We rejoice because we learn and we mature through our experience. We learn to rely and trust in the strength that God gives us to deal with these trials and sufferings. And every time we go through trials, we learn to trust him more and more. 
You look at someone who's been a Christian 40, 50, 60 years, and you see the great faith that they have. Why? Because they've gone through things through their lives, trials, tests. And so they get to the point where they say, oh, I'm not worried. And, and if it was, you know, if it was one of us, we would go, oh, you know, that doesn't bother you. And they say, oh, no. They have this such great trust in God because they've been tested and their, tra- and their trust has grown. They've persevered. They've gained character. They've relied on that hope that they have. And so we rejoice because we learn and we mature through our experience. We learn to rely and trust in the strength that God gives us to deal with these trials and sufferings. And every time we go through them, we learn. We learn to trust them more and more. The end result of a life in Christ that has learned to handle the troubles of life and still be faithful and happy is hope. That's the end result. Let me say that again. The end result of a life in Christ that has learned to handle the troubles of life and still be faithful and happy is hope. That's the end result. Being able to overcome the things of this world produces hope. However, the hope that Paul's talking about here, that he mentions here, it's not a new hope that's created from the sufferings. It's not a hope that comes out of what you went through. This hope is the hope that a person had from the beginning, as it says, when he or she responded to the gospel and received the Holy Spirit. That hope that you had when you first uh, believed in Christ and you came to Christ. That hope in the promises that are waiting for you. And so this hope is the hope that a person had from the beginning and received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as it says, is in us to help us with our Christian walk It should remind us of the investment God made in us and the love that he has showed us. When we suffer and overcome, we are reminded of this hope all over again. It's already there. The the trials and the sufferings we go through doesn't produce a new hope. It's a reminder of the hope we already have. Think about it. When you suffer, what's the first thing you do? You probably go to God in prayer, right? And then you're reminded that of all these promises, that God can help you through these things. You're reminded of the hope that you have for later on, that you will see Christ again, that you'll go to heaven. You're reminded of the hope that you have. We're reminded of the hope that we had in the beginning. In this life, we will have troubles, but in the end, we will overcome the world, and one day we will be reunited with Christ and go to heaven. This is the hope that we have. We have the hope in Christ and the promises that he brings with him. This hope that Paul spoke of doesn't disappoint us. This hope doesn't go away because things get tough. It's always there. When we're struggling, the hope is still always there. It doesn't go away. It doesn't disappoint us. When we go through trials, we are reminded of that hope. It brings out that hope in us all over again. We might remember Colossians chapter 1. We read a while ago. Well, verse 23 said, And if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, the hope that we had at the beginning when we responded to the truth. Material things will disappoint us because they'll eventually break down. They'll be gone. People will disappoint us too. But God doesn't disappoint us. God doesn't disappoint us. Our hope is in Christ. And Christ will not disappoint us, and neither will our faith and hope if we hang on to it. So now verses 6 to 8. Thanks, Wayne. Verses 6 to 8 now. And so it says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul directed his audience to the one their hope is in, and that is Christ. We were powerless under the law. They were powerless under the law. Christ came when we were powerless. We couldn't do anything to avoid the condemnation we had brought on ourselves because of our disobedience. But God could have just ignored us, but he's a loving God. He didn't do that. He sent his son to die for us. It says the ungodly. That's what we were. We were the ungodly. We were the sinners. As it says, it's pretty rare that you see someone willing to die for another person, though, as it says, a person might dare to die for a good man. You might be willing to die for somebody if the person's a really good person, you know, and that's what he's kind of talking about. But it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. While we were ungodly, Christ died for us, even his enemies. He didn't just die for a righteous man or a good man. Let me ask you this. Could you see yourself dying for someone who is your enemy? Think about one of the worst people that you can think of. Somebody that you know is very sinful, very evil. And think about that person and ask yourself, would you be willing to die for that person? Or would you have the attitude, no, he doesn't deserve it or she doesn't deserve it. But Christ died for everyone. Everyone. And see, that's the love of God that we have. Verses 9 to 11. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are not justified by anything we do, but only by the blood of Jesus. If we have responded to the gospel in obedient faith, then we have accepted Jesus as Lord. We've taken that step to say that, you know what, Jesus is my Lord, he's my king, he's my master, and I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do things his way. And that's the decision that we have made. And we have been washed by the blood of Jesus and forgiven of our sins. This is what all of us has done. We have been reborn through the waters of baptism. We've become a new creation, as scriptures tell us. Through Christ, we are forgiven, and we come into a right relationship with God. And we get to look forward to a better life and a home than the one we have now. Let me repeat that. We get to look forward to a better life and a better home than the one we have now. That's the hope that we have, that we hang on to. We might have to suffer some trials in this life, but the rewards that await us are of greater worth than all the money in the world. What we have looking forward, what we have to look forward to, what's waiting for us is going to be so great that our minds can't even possibly imagine. If God invested the life of his son for us when we were his enemies, it shows how far his love and grace will go. Imagine that. He invested the life of his son for us when we were his enemies. As God's people, we should be the happiest people on earth. When we come here on Sunday morning, we should be so happy. We should be so happy that it's the Lord's Day. We're together as God's people and remembering the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We should be happy people, the happiest people on the planet. 
Let's remember Christ on the Lord's day and every day and be glad in our hearts. Let's be thankful for what Christ has done for us. Let's put things into perspective. Think of your life now, the life that you're living, and just keep thinking. It's going to be a better life, the next one. It's going to be a better home. We've got things to look forward to, as I said, that we can't even imagine. If you are here today and you have not heard about how you can be in Christ and forgiven of your sins and be able to look forward to those same rewards, to have that same hope, why not come forward now at this time? Make the most important decision of your life. And it is the most important decision of your life. It's a decision between life and death, literally. But it's spiritual life and death. It is a decision between life and death. Do you ever think about it that way? Come forward now and make the decision to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And become one of God's people. Become part of the body of Christ. Let's stand and sing our last song.